Hey guys, this is Resh. And this is Dan. And welcome to Z Talk, the Zelda Dungeon Podcast. You know what, Dan? What? It just doesn't feel the same. I told you that, and you didn't believe me. Okay, well, let's do this over, okay? You go. Ready? Three, two, one. Hey guys, this is Din. And this is Rish. And welcome to Z-Talk, the Zelda Dungeon Podcast. There we go, that's better. Exactly. Alright, so guys, super exciting news. Guess what comes out November 20th in Sky- North America? Skyward Sword! Skyward Sword! That's right, Skyward Sword is set to come out according to our sources. So excited. Here's hoping that they're right. Birthday present to myself. Birthday present to yourself? What about me? Well, I'm buying it for me. I don't know if you're buying it for you. Shame. Anyways, guys... You can play my copy after I play my copy. So I'm not going to get to play your copy. Not till I'm done. Okay, so I'm not going to get to play for quite a while. Well, you can buy your own copy. (laughs) Alright, guys. Anyways, we have only a few segments this week. We only, this month. we only have three, and before you're all like, hey, why is there only three segments this month? There is a reason. It's because they're quite a bit more in-depth, so you aren't losing out on anything. Uh, we will not have a mailbag this time, but for sure we'll have one next time. We have a round table this time, guys, that's really awesome, and it ended up being a little longer than we'd expected it to be. But it was so great, we weren't going to cut pieces and make you miss out, so. So, you'll just have to grit your teeth and bear it, and we'll be back hopefully to a few different segments more so next time. Anyways, uh, Din, you want to take it away? Yeah, we'll move on to our first section. So first up today on our short podcast, well not short but deep podcast, is um, Noli, who we haven't heard from before, and she's got a segment for us. Noli is going to be discussing some similarities between games that she's noticed. Yeah, she wants to tell us about things that happened before Ocarina of Time that we see in Ocarina of Time. Crazy. So, I'm pretty excited. And uh, Noli's got some mic things going on, but we can hear her, so. Hopefully you guys can hear her too. Take it away, Noli. With a lowercase k. Hi, guys. I'm Noli with a lowercase k here. Yes, of course, I know that's weird, but I just like it with a lowercase k. I'm speaking about that. Alright? And today in the podcast, you want to be talking about certain things that was in Ocarina of Time that actually happened much earlier than for this game was even thought of. Yeah. There's a lot of things that in Ocarina of Time actually happened before. In the first four games before that, which is the original Legend of Zelda, the second game, which is Adventure of Link, and then, of course, in my favorite game, I went to the past, and then, and then the Game Boy game of Link's Awakening. And so there was a bunch of things that happened in Ocarina of Time that actually, well, a bunch of things that were in Ocarina of Time actually happened before and first appeared in the first four games that I just mentioned. And so now that's out of the way, here's the things that I found that were in those first four games that 
He's also not going to get time. Okay, the first one is Kapor Gabora. Although he didn't technically appear in Link's Awakening, there was an owl that was in the game that looked just like it. So, so I, um, they probably were inspired by him. They decided to make a character just like him in Ocarina of Time, you know, from Link's Awakening. Although it's not him, you know, it looks like him. Okay, and then of course, the big thing is the Ocarina. It first appeared in Link to the Past. Although it was called a flute at that point in time, and say it wasn't used to travel back in time, or, you know, like in George Mask, or to play the songs that's all in the games and all that, and that stuff. But it first appeared in Link to the Past, and of course it was just called a flute. And then of course the Master Sword, it first appeared in Link to the Past also, and Places of Travel, which first appeared in Link to the Past, which was the Light and Dark World. And of course in Ocarina of Time, it's the past and the future. But in Link to the Past, it first appeared as the Light and Dark World. And of course, the first form of animal transportation around Hyrule also appeared in the same name I just mentioned before, which was in Link to the Past. And so that was the bird that the ocarina, or the flute in that game, summoned in order to transport you to eight different little places in the game. Of course, the first instances of spells that were used in the Zelda series first appeared in Adventure of Link as the shield, fairy, jump, life, Little spells that they all had, and of course, there's more than the first four I just mentioned, but I thought I'd have those just as examples, so that way I wouldn't have to go through the whole entire list. But yeah, uh, those first appeared in Adventure of Link. Uh, the next thing is the I Like Symbol of a Shikaya. Those first appeared, although it was slightly different, in A Link to the Past. Uh, it didn't have the tear symbol like it does in Ocarina of Time, but it had more eyelashes looking parts down at the bottom of it. And say all it had was the eyelash at the top and the bottom and the eye in the middle. That's all it had. And that until they, you know, changing Ocarina of Time to have teardrops at the bottom of the little eyelash. And of course, the great fairies who healed you, they first appeared in, you know, the very first game of the series, which is, you know, The Legend of Zelda. And say they were found all, all around, you know, in the overworld. And say they would heal you whenever you found them. And then there's a spin attack, which of course also first appeared in A Link to the Past as a technique that was passed down the Knight's bloodline. Impa, she also first appears in Legend of Zelda. Although she only is shown in the game manual, she's not shown in the game itself, just in the manual that comes with the game. But if she was also Zelda's nursemaid, just like in Ocarina of Time, she's also the nursemaid for Zelda in that game too, and so she was ordered to flee by the princess and find someone who could save him, which of course that someone she found was Link, our hero of the story. And then, of course, the whole idea of gathering three items before obtaining the Master Sword also first appeared in Link to the Past. And, of course, those three items would be the pendants of courage, wisdom, and power to get a travel ball through there, find them, and get the Master Sword, and then go find Agnam and, you know, kill him. Zora. They first appeared in Link to the Past. Although, you know, you could argue that they first appeared in Legend of Zelda, but they were technically called Zolas, which is, you know, Z-O-L-A-S, compared to Zoras, which is Z-O-R-A-S. The Zoras, with those names, they first appear in Link to the Past, although they were referred to as Zolas in the Legend of Zelda first. But I officially say they first appeared in Link to the Past. And so you may want to argue that, but I, I say that. Okay? And of um, the story of the creation of Hyrule, it first appeared in Link to the Past. And so it was in the manual that you know you read in there and say it told up the gods, you know, as the command creating Hyrule and all that. And so the goddesses were first referred to as gods first in that manual. They weren't distinguished as goddesses until Ocarina of Time came in. Bottles. They first appeared in Link to the Past, but they referred to as magic bottles at the time, not, not just plain old bottles. They're magic. Zelda's Lullaby first appeared in Link to the Past, 
and then of course you could play it, you know, as a song in Ocarina of Time, from on Ocarina. Kakarika Village, it first appeared in Link to the Past as well. Death Mountain also first appeared in the first Legend of Zelda game, and also uh, the part where Ganon was the final bad guy you had to fight there, you know. He's a big bad guy, he lives on Death Mountain, they were fighting. The Triforce of Power of Wisdom, it first appeared in The Legend of Zelda. Now, the Triforce of Courage didn't appear until Adventure of Link, which is its sequel. And so the first time that the Sacred Realm was ever mentioned is in The Link's Path. It's mentioned in the opening story of the game. You know, that little you know, thing that you wait, you know, after the logo pops up, and say, you know, it tells that story, and that's when it first is mentioned. And say so the goddesses are first mentioned in the game manual of Link's Path, like I mentioned before, but they weren't given names and they were called God at first until God's along. But they still were, you know, God of courage, God of wisdom, God of power, but they weren't God of officially known as yet until a point of time. Hyrule Castle also first appears in a Link's Past, as well as the Pedestal of Time. It also appears in a Link's Past, although it's not referred to that at that point in time, but, you know, it's greatly implied that's what it is. Seven Sages. They also first appeared in A Link to the Past, although they were referred to as Wise Man until its re-release on the Game Boy Advance where they were renamed Sages, you know, depending with the Ocarina of Time way of them saying there were seven Sages in the game instead of you know, Wise Man. Shadow Link also first appeared in Adventure of Link. He was the big guy you had to fight at the end of the game. Okay, the first instance of a water-type dungeon is the, is the Swamp Palace, also known as the Watergate Dungeon in A Link to the Past. That's located in an area below the bomb shop in the dark world, which is also, you know, in the light world. It's in that area, right below Link's house. Malon. She was created from the character Myron from Link's Awakening. It inspired the character of Malon, and of course the blonde girl was based on her. Malon's father, Talon, was also inspired by Marin's father, Taran. They share certain physical features and all that sort of stuff, so it makes me think they also based Talon on Taran. And I believe that's all the stuff that I found in there. But, you know, Ocarina of Time, it started a bunch of other stuff, like, you know, being the best Zelda game ever in the series, which, of course, my opinion, Link's Past is, of course, Dr. Nogget, you know, on the one, that's just my opinion, not fact. But, anyway, those are all the stuff that I found that, that didn't first occur in Ocarina of Time, but actually occurred in the first four games of the series. And I believe that will be all, and I will see you guys later. Bye! Thank you, Noli, for your insights on how some previous games are related to Orcarina of Time. Thanks so much for your submission. We hope to hear from you again. Alright, let's move on to the rest of the podcast. It's time for a roundtable. Alright guys, so for our roundtable discussion today, we have Axel along with... Duck Noises and Mossies. Mossies is doing on the podcast? Yeah, he's part of the the roundtable this time. They're going to be discussing Link's Awakening in lieu of it coming out on the... um, virtual console for the 3DS. Well, that's that's awesome. I know it's awesome. And I can't believe they got Mossies on it. 
That's awesome. You guys are going to get to hear from our webmaster. All right, so take it away, Axel. All right, so our guests for this time are Duck Noises, who is one of our forum no forum moderators. Uh, what's up, Duck Noises? Hello. And we also have Mossies, who is the webmaster of Zelda Dungeon. What's up, Mossies? Uh, hi, I'm Mossies, and I'm kind of a big deal around here. He's a very big deal. We wouldn't be here without Mossies. All right, so basically what this, uh, this, this roundtable is going to be about is it's kind of similar to the last one where we talked about Majora's Mask, but in relation to the series, like how it like measures up. But more what we're doing here is we're going to talk about how the series measures up to Link's Awakening, how the series that came after uh, had to do with you know Link's Awakening, which came before most of the games in the series, or at least the majority of them. So let's start off by, uh, like, Duck Noises. What is your, like... Quick, very quickly, what's your general opinion, like overall thought on Ele on Link's Awakening? Well, I, I really love the game. It's one of my favorite Zelda games. It's it's very creative and very very imaginative. Imaginative that it's it's just such a great experience. That's that's very it's it's got a lot of variety in it, and I really like it. And Mossies, what's your thoughts? Uh, it's not my favorite Zelda game. It's not my least favorite game. It's 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 sort of right in the middle. And it does so many things. It's like the oddball of the series. There are so many things that are so different. And I think we'll talk about a lot of those later on. All right. Well, I remember there was this one quote, and I don't know if I'm making this up, because I thought I saw a quote about um, the developers saying that a lot of the things in Link's Awakening seemed like they were, you know, they... they did a lot of things with Link's Awakening that influenced the rest of the series, and that's kind of what inspired me to make this whole discussion to begin with. Um, I actually got that feeling while playing it as well. Uh, do you remember that quote, Mossies? You know more about the quotes and stuff than I do. Yeah, it was talked about in, in Iwata Asks episode, I think about a year ago. They were talking about a lot of the older Zelda games, and the developers were basically talking about how since it was a Game Boy game, it wasn't a console game, they were allowed to do so many things differently. They were allowed to do a lot of experimenting. And a lot of those ideas didn't catch on really, but a lot of them really did. And when we think about a lot of things that are in Zelda games today, we can pinpoint back to Link's Awakening to see the different things they did, such as an entire village of talking animals. Not sure how much Twilight Princess with all their talking animals uh, contributes or was brought from Link's Awakening, but that's one of the examples. Well, I what I love about Link's Awakening is that you have, from A Link to the Past, is a very serious game, it's very foreboding. Um, there's not a lot of a lot of humor in the game. It's 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 kind of dry, but it, it works for A Link to the Past. Whereas Link's Awakening is very it's very zany and eccentric, and a lot of the characters are very funny. For example, there's there's uh, some of the characters. A common common theme is breaking the fourth wall. There's there are children at the beginning of the game who reference um, the control scheme and say, "Oh, but I don't know what that means because I'm just a kid." Or how convenient those controls are that you can push this button or that button. And uh, it, it's it's I love how it it the game takes itself seriously and well. The, the game wants you to take it seriously at the same time as the characters completely disregard any seriousness in the game. And it's it's just offset really, really... It's a really funny game in that sense. That it, It's got examples of characters from other franchises, like um, Mario enemies crop up. You've got... Um, you've got um, a Yoshi doll, and it mentions that 
the Yoshi doll is Yoshi's been in a bunch of games and it it com- completely breaks the the fourth wall and adds all the characters are hilarious and it's something you can see in games like Ocarina of Time that that come through that a lot of the a character like Rudo who you would never who's just just really funny and odd that you wouldn't see in something like um something like a link to the past and that's something that carries through through the rest of the series yeah i really think that the characters in link's awakening really stand out and uh, you were mentioning the the kids in Maid Village or the quadruplets, I think they were called. Yeah. Uh, another thing, one of the quadruplets, their father. He's part of the trade. He's part of the trading sequence early on in the game. And when you were his mother, well, when you when you talk to him early on in the game, he tells you, "I'm going to get lost later on in the game, and I'm going to be in the mountain." Or in the hills, whatever he says. I love that. That is and one of my favorite parts. I swear to God, it's so ridiculous. A, it's so like, strange and crazy. Like, what the hell is he talking about? Yet later on in the game, lo and behold, he is lost, just as he said. <laughs> so yeah, I'm not sure if that's in the same sense of the break in the fourth wall, but oh yeah, uh, it's just funny in a way. And going to the characters, the enemies, and such. Yeah, there's a lot of Mario enemies. There's a Goomba, a Piranha Plant. There's also Kirby-based enemies, too. Oh, yeah, there's Kirby. He's late in the game, yeah. Yeah, the anti-Kirby. I think that's what the, the official guide refers to it as. And it just acts and looks just like Kirby. So, yeah, the, the NPCs in the game are really great. Yeah, and you know, there's a lot of little things like that. Like, uh, there's all kinds of Easter eggs and stuff. I, weren't you talking about, the, uh, talking about that a little while ago, Masis? Yeah, there's a lot of things. Like, I've been playing that game for 15 years, and there's still things today that I'm just discovering. I've been doing some work for the website for Link's Awakening, and I just found out a couple of days ago that when you have Bow Wow, basically the chain shop from the Mario series, it's another connection, and you're walking around with Bow Wow, and then you can find the monkey who's part of the training sequence, and if they run into each other, Bow Wow sorts of sort of starts attacking the monkey and this is one of those things that's just so odd and strange yet it's tossed into the game and it's it's sort of made for you to after you've beaten the game you're just messing around and you just discover these things and that's one of like a dozen things found throughout the quest yeah and that's definitely like something that they didn't really do in the old zelda games like up until link to the past i mean there may be it's like small examples though i can't think of any off top of my head, but then, like, afterwards in Ocarina of Time, you've got, got all kinds of things like that, and they just keep going on throughout the series. They add all these humorous moments, they add all these, like, funny little references to the other games in the series, you, you know, they just have stuff like that that they, they didn't do until Link's Awakening. So I definitely think that you guys are right, that's when it kind of started. One of the side stories, too, that I really like, they really started to developing uh, characters having their own side stories. I'm not just talking about the major character, too. I'm talking about some of the minor characters. For an example, one of my favorite little exchanges between characters, it's part of the trading sequence, but in Maid Village, or not Maid Village, north of Maid Village, there's a character, Mr. Wright. He's basically like a... Po- oh, Mr. Wright. Yeah, yes. Mr. Wright. He's like a postman. I don't know what he is. He writes letters. Yeah, he's a pun. And then in Animal Village, there's a goat. And she basically is the same thing as Mr. Wright, but the animal version. So they're sort of like pen pals in a way. I think it's making 
like reference to the 80s and 90s, how pen pals were such a big deal. And the goat actually writes a letter, and you have to deliver it to Mr. Wright. And when you finally do deliver it, Mr. Wright opens up the letter, and it's actually a picture of, well, what's supposed to be the goat, but she fakes her identity, and it's actually a picture of Princess Peach from the Mario series. So it's sort of like the whole internet thing where you can have a fake identity because you're not in person, it's through email or pen pal or whatever, and then sort of Link is caught up in the middle of this trading quest and this, you know, connection between these two one-off characters. So it's like in the middle of your quest, you know, you're going through all these dungeons, there's these two characters on the other side of Koholan Island and they have this strange connection and they have their own story and that's awesome. Found throughout. There's so many of these things in the game too. A lot of the a lot of the characters are great too because they've they've got they've got all sorts of things. There's um, Terran who's Terran and Marin who are basically um, early prototypes. Yeah, Talon and Melon, which are are basically early early prototypes of the ones you see in Ocarina of Time. And uh, Terran has has this whole story about him being he gets turned into a raccoon and you have to go fix him and. Uh, there's there's that whole element, um, and a lot of the that that segues into the into the atmosphere nicely because there's the, there's there's something throughout the whole game that makes it feel that it's just not right. And at the core the core of this quest is figuring out what it is because the, the 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 plot of the game isn't very event driven. It's it's more there there are little clues that you pick up on throughout the game and you have to put them together like a puzzle and you you try and as as you get closer and closer to the end of the game you kind of figure out you get you get a general idea of of what's going on but it's very vague and this this idea that you get in the in the game you get clues throughout the rest of the thing and there's there little prophecies and elements of dialogue that that come around and they they reference this whole quest when you you finally um your goal in the quest is to confront the windfish, and who's just this entity who, who tells you who you are and what you're doing, um, and or who's supposed to. And you, uh, that's this is because at the beginning of the game, Link is in a shipwreck and he he has amnesia, and so most of the game is trying to figure out where he is and what's going on because it is not laid out for you. You have to figure it out in the entire game, and it's. It's very mysterious and it feels it feels unsettling, but it's completely set off by the whole zany characters who who don't take the the, the plot seriously at all. Whereas you have the plot, which is seems very serious, but then one moment you've got the characters just pretending that it has absolutely nothing to do with them, and it's there's these two contrasting things that, that just make an excellent balance of the game to make it feel hilarious and serious and intriguing and it's it's just it just works so so well for the plot you know you mentioned how you you mentioned how the story how it's not really an eventful story but there's a lot of little things I, I sort of disagree actually because i think it's a very eventful story in that there's always there's these little things that are changing but your mission almost changes throughout the quest like at the very beginning you when you land on the island and you're you're more of what the heck is going on how do i get back to my ship or wherever i'm how do i get back to hyrule wherever he was going but then as the quest goes on your mission is 
completely different from level to level, basically. And the story sort of gradually unfolds, and it's very it's very cryptic too. There's those, oh, those like those like owl statues all over the overworld that give you these strange messages, like nothing is as it seems, and this isn't you know what reality isn't true, and you know all those little things, and it sort of messes with your mind a little bit. They're trying to oh, definitely. trick you into thinking. I don't know about tricking you, but it, it's really messing with you. It, it's not as clear as some of the other more straightforward Zelda games that came before it and after it, actually. Certainly, it's it's a very deep game because the the plot youth. I keep thinking about like I beat I beat this game a long, long time ago, and I still think about what what happens in the plot and what what it all means because it comes. It I won't I won't give anything away, but it it's. It's very open to interpretation. This game. It's not. It's not cut and dry. It's everyone has a different perspective on this game, and it it all comes through into something that that you you form a lot of what happens, and your understanding of the game is very is very different from other people, and how you see it could be drastically different, and how it how it comes together because it's not. I, I say it's not event driven in that in that I mean that it's it's not. You can't all come and agree, you know. Oh, this is what happens, and this is why it happens. It's it's more of something happened, but you have to figure out yourself why it happens and what it means. When I first played the game, I was actually pretty surprised because you know I had heard a lot enough about it to know that it was a good game, but I was quite shocked when I actually played it at how like really good the game was, and especially how familiar it was. There were so many things I thought when I played that game that just, like, not even talking about the storyline stuff and all the things, like, about character development, whimsy, that it, uh, it like, originated before, the, like, the rest of the games in the series did stuff like that. But, like, there was, like, stuff with the gameplay that made it kind of feel like I was playing Ocarina of Time. I mean, there was totally, like, things, even down to subtleties of how you, like, used your shield and stuff that kind of felt like this is where Ocarina of Time came from a little bit. And I felt like, uh... Like, uh, I was playing a 2D Ocarina of Time, and that I was... It, it was jarring when, you know, I'm playing this game, and I'm saying, this is just like Ocarina of Time, and then I, it's jarring when I realize that, in a way, Ocarina of Time was more like this game. This game started that. The, I think the Marin and Tarin, Malin and Talon comparison is actually a good example of that, and maybe they even threw that in as, like, an Easter egg to reference this. Uh, what do you think? Uh, I'm not sure about all the connections with Ocarina of Time. Perhaps this is just because we've played we played the games in a different order. When when I first played Link's Awakening, I was thinking more of it along the lines of a handheld version of A Link to the Past. And I was very skeptical about it. I didn't know if it would work because it's you know I was sort of late into the whole Game Boy thing, right? <laughs> the Game Boy thing, and uh, so I was thinking, oh yeah, that's not a serious game. It's just a handheld, you know, for you know people to play in the backseat of their cars, but I was surprised how fluid the gameplay was. It actually played like the Super Nintendo version, I thought, and I thought it was its full. It was a full-blown quest. It wasn't this, like, handheld that, well, it wasn't handheld. It wasn't some, like, mini side game, which, for one, whatever reason, that was my initial uh, thought about the game when I first played it. But in relation to its connections with Ocarina of Time, we sort of touched upon that, how a lot of the things were borrowed from future games. 
but I definitely think it played more like the original Legend of Zelda and A Link to the Past. Probably just because it was 2D. Yeah, I agree that it, it plays like in in gameplay. It's it's very much uh, m- much more like a link to the past or the original Legend of Zelda, um, particularly the original because the sh- um, but the shield is the shield and the items the way they function is more like is less like um, a link to the past and it's it's newer and what Axel was going into about um, the fact that that you have the a lot of the items. You've got a two-item system where you can go in the start menu and select things, and it's it's what I love about the game is that the sword is not a mandatory item per se. You're not always using your sword, and you use all these different combinations of items, and there it has a lot of variety in the game because you can use. There are so many different ways to beat bosses, and there there are a lot of different ways you can figure out that I oh I didn't know I could do that, and there there are little combinations you can use with some of the items, and. In terms of it being a full-fledged game, it it really is. There's a lot of there are a lot of secrets in this game. There's a lot of replay value, especially if you're playing the deluxe version. You can you can play this game over and over and over again, back to back. And there's there's so much extra stuff in there. There's also going back to Easter eggs. And the the gameplay is it's it's a very solid game. Don't underestimate it when you think oh it's it's a handheld game. It is it is very it is very solid and very large. Um, one thing I actually wanted your guys' thoughts on is the difficulty, because frankly, out of like all the Zelda games I've played, and granted, I haven't played the original two NES ones, um, I actually struggled through this game more than any other Zelda game. I even like needed to uh, find uh, walkthroughs for some of the puzzles that I couldn't figure out. I, I struggled through this game. I, did either of you have that experience or thought? I, I thought a little bit it, it, in two different senses. One, in terms of pure difficulty in terms of number of deaths because I thought some of the early bosses gave me trouble the first time around like Genie for example oh yeah he's hard he it's a fairly basic boss battle yeah uh, but he's he's hard he's easy to figure out but he's hard in practice right and, and he's I had the opposite experience with Moldorm the exact same experience with Moldorm <laughs> Moldorm is a perfect example too where it's it's such a simplistic boss you know exactly what to do especially if you've played the length of the past Yet it's just difficult. You get knocked off off the the edges against Genie. He just takes up. He just does so much damage every time he he hits you. Uh, so I found myself dying a lot in this game, probably more so than almost any Zelda game other than the old NES ones. Um, and then on the flip side, there's the difficulty in terms of the puzzles or the what do I need to do next type difficulty. Oh, absolutely. I had a lot of trouble with that as well. Right, and I had that, especially in the later dungeons. Oh, yeah. uh, The Eagle's Tower, the 7th dungeon, and Turtle Rock, the 8th dungeon. Uh, Just because they're just gigantic, and there's so many different places to go. It's not linear at all. There's so many different things. You can do things in different order. And, uh, yeah, it it really, you know, I stumbled a lot in terms of that. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, going going into the difficulty for for those that have played, uh, who have been have been uh, used to a lot of the newer Zelda games, so say uh, the Minish Cap and and forward, especially those that that uh, that have played stuff, have only played stuff like Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks, they are gonna they are gonna hate the difficulty in this game because it is it is it is pretty hard. 
particularly the puzzles because the puzzles are are very difficult and some of them some of them will take you a while to figure out uh particularly there's one in the second dungeon that took me like four hours to figure out and I kicked myself when I figured I figured this out i i i I'm like man I am so dumb <laughs> and but a lot of the a lot of the puzzles will will get you but once you get it you realize you realize that it's not as hard as it seems but it they a lot of them a lot of things will throw you for a loop uh yeah but the puzzles are the puzzles are quite hard they're they're a lot of the things that they're 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 more complex than a link to the past which is what i think a lot of the people found but in in terms of yeah the the puzzles are, are pretty complex you've got something especially like eagle's tower which is You've got a, a huge, huge dungeon-wide puzzle that you have to do, and the dungeon changes based on things you do in the dungeon, and it's it's enormous. I I love that dungeon, and it is very, very hard, but I, I love that dungeon. That's my favorite dungeon in the game. A lot of those puzzles that, throughout the game that give you challenge, they actually offer a lot of uh, help, though. Help yeah, they in- do. There's there's this um, th- like the little the little stone tablets in the wall and a link to the past. There's like collecting the dungeon key in the compass. Um, there's an an owl beak or a stone tablet in the the Game Boy, not not the not the DX version, that that they give you. It gives you a little clue on on some of the puzzles in the dungeon, or some of the bosses and some of the trickier enemies, and that it it helps you. But it sometimes it's still hard. Well, if you would have used that in the second dungeon, you probably wouldn't have had trouble with that puzzle. I did, and I still did. I still had trouble <laughs> because I didn't know what the names of the enemies were. Okay, fair enough. But even in the overworld, actually, like A Link to the Past had this with the fortune tellers. That like you can go to the fortune tellers, and they sort of hint towards what you need to do next. Uh, in Link's Awakening, it was a lot more prominent. There was those telephone booths all over the overworld, and if you actually walk into those telephone booths and you call the guy from Maid Village, he actually gives you a lot of help. It really is straightforward too, some of his clues, where if you're stuck, you go in and you're like, oh yeah, that's what I need to do. And uh, so there was a lot of those sort of in-game help triggers from from the game. Alright, so... I think that's all about about all we have time for, guys. Uh, real quick, though, or do you have any final thoughts about uh, Link's Awakening? Well, I th- I think it's a great game, and I think p- even though it's it's old and it's coming out on a virtual console, but even if you if you don't want to wait, because I I I love this game so much that I got to the final boss, and then I lost the game and I couldn't find it for a long time, so I went and bought another copy on eBay, just because. I love this game so much, and I think you should all go and try and find, go to a used game store and pick up this game because it is, it is great. I think its legacy really showed with the rest of the series. We talked about it already with all the little things that were brought back, even like the Ocarina and Ocarina of Time, uh, with the different songs. That's like another thing. There's so many things, and when after Majora's Mask, when Oracle of Ages and Oracle of Seasons ended up releasing they basically used the same engine as Link's Awakening but yeah they did I really think they took it to another level though I think they really they really pushed it like one of the things that really bothered me going back to Link's Awakening in comparison to the Oracle of Ages it's an Oracle of Ages when you were in a giant room basically it's the screen scrolled left right up down you were not 
it was not fixed to just that actual screen. It's sort of hard to put into No, work. I know exactly what you're talking about. Anyone who's played, I think, would understand that. Right. So, so Oracle of Ages had a lot of giant rooms, especially in some of their dungeons. And that was sort of... like I missed that a little bit, going back to Link's Awakening, because all the rooms, you were really... It was almost claustrophobic in a way, because you were really... Yeah. It was really tight. The, the rooms, the screen size is small. I mean, looking at the like the boss battle with Moldor. Oh yeah, he, that's very. Yeah, that's probably why it's hard. Right. So uh, I think there was a lot of advances with Link's Awakening. They used the core gameplay and made two great games in Oracle of Ages and Oracle Seasons. And then again, a lot of the ideas carried over. But overall, Link's Awakening is great. It's classic. Everybody should get it who has a 3DS. And uh, should get it on Virtual Console for sure. It's a must-have, I think. Certainly. All right, well, guys, glad to have you. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Yes. All right, and I'll see you guys next time. And just before we go, for your listening pleasure, I've got the uh, the outtake of sorts uh, from in the middle of the recording when I dropped from the conference, and this is what happened. So Axel's no longer here. Um. <laughs> okay. That was going to be fun for him to edit. Yeah, I bug Axel on a regular basis that his internet is not the best sometimes. Axel, we got to get you like a T1 line or something because this dropping stuff's got to stop. We'll mail it to you. We'll mail it to you. <laughs> <laughs> And we'll pay the incredibly high bill for it, too. Actually, maybe ask Mossies about that one. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much, guys, for the Link's Awakening uh, roundtable. And we will move on to our next segment. And now, the Keaton Quiz. Hey guys, and welcome to the Keaton Quiz. We have another quiz this time, and uh, guess who's back? Cinnamon. Hi! Surprise, surprise, <laughs> and her challenger for this time. Is Majora Man. Hey guys. So, it's great to have you both here. Um, just to run over the rules a little bit for all of our listeners, you'll be asked a question from one of three categories, The Legend of Zelda, Zelda Dungeon, or Z-Tunes. You must buzz in to answer the question, we'll call whoever buzzed in first, you have 15 seconds to answer, or your opponent gets a chance to steal, or if you get the wrong answer, your opponent gets a chance to steal. Um... If you buzz in before the question has been read in its entirety, you will not be read the remainder of the question. For a steal, the question will be reread. If you get an answer wrong, you will hear this sound. And if you get an answer right, you will hear this sound. The winner will move on to challenge the next opponent. And that's about it. It's pretty short and simple. And I think all of you guys are used to hearing me say these, and we're just going to move on. So, Cinnamon, 
is using her buzz-in sound of normal. I got my bell back! Yay! <laughs> and Majora Man is going to be using... That's fantastic. That's a great sound. <laughs> I like that one. Thank you. I am not completely and utterly loopy today, so let's see how I work. Same here. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, two people that aren't loopy. We're good to go. All right, this will be a good one. So are you both ready then? Yep. Yes, ma'am. Awesome. All right. Question number one. Category, The Legend of Zelda. What is the highest arrow capacity possible in A Link to the Past? Majora Man. Is it 60? No, it is not. Shucks. Cinnamon. What is the highest arrow capacity possible in A Link to the Past? Oh gosh, way too many numbers floating through my head right now. Um, I'm going to say 100. No, that is also incorrect. The answer is... The correct answer was 70. So you were darn close, Majora. Dang it. <laughs> All right. So many numbers, so many. Question number two. Category, Zelda Dungeon. Who was the first member of the Zelda Dungeon forums? Cinnamon. Isn't that Mossy's by default? Yes, it is. <laughs> oh, I was going to say that. I feel like that's a trick question. Cinnamon got our first point. Question number three. Category, Zelda Dungeon. Who was the second member of the Zelda Dungeon forums? Gosh, I feel like I should know this. Oh my gosh, too many names running through my head again. Take a stab at it. Five seconds. Uh... No? No. Not me. Oh, you know what, guys? Caleb is going to be very upset with you. It was Caleb. <laughs> Mr. Caleb. All right. Question number four. Category Z-Tunes. Name the title of this song. Cinnamon. Linebeck's theme from Phantom Hourglass? Yes, it is. I love that song. So that's two, two points. points. Cinnamon's at three. Oh, man. <laughs> I heard you buzz in just shortly after Cinnamon. All right. Question number five. Category, The Legend of Zelda. In the Oracle of Ages, how many items are in the trading sequence for the Nobel Sword? Noble Sword. You mean you expect us to count? I like to give you numbers. <laughs> I don't Just like, like Zelda. They frighten me. Numbers frighten Is me. Is somebody going to take a guess at it? Oh, Majora? I'm just gonna guess here and say 10. Aww. Cinnamon? Numbers frighten me so much. Um, <laughs> I love it. I don't know. The correct answer is 13. Unlucky 13. Which is Sorry. why I've never completed it. Aha! Uh -huh. Yeah, no way. <laughs> scare me. They scare me for a reason. You just gave me more reason to be scared of numbers. Gee, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, question number six. Category, The Legend of Zelda. The fairy fountains in the Minish Cap upgrade what three things for Link? Majora. 
Um, bombs, arrows, and something else, maybe. <laughs> uh, That's alright, okay. Cinnamon? The three fairy fountains in the Minish Cap upgrade what three things for Link? I'm just gonna go with the default three items that I typically think of and say bomb, arrows, and rupees, wallet, something like that general basic concept. I'm sorry, she missed... She missed one. Aww. Tell me your answers again. Bombs, arrows, and a wallet? Bombs, arrows, and something. That's, that's, oh. yeah, no, that's correct. Sorry, the way she said it was... Yeah, no, oh, I... I'm sorry, I started rambling, I do that. No, that's okay. You, <laughs> I've got wallet quiver bomb bag written down, so I had to think about quiver <laughs> arrows. <laughs> I was close, though. You were, you were very close. You gave me two out of the three. Okay, question number seven. Category, Z-Tunes. Name the title of this song. Majora. Is that, um, the Maladus theme? I'm sorry, that's incorrect. <laughs> Cinnamon? Do you have I a guess? Have no clue. No clue? Alright. The correct answer was the Cave of Flames from The Legend of Zelda Minish Cap. But I can't see how you think that would, mal would be Maladus' theme. It does sound it does. likely They're similar. style. Yep. Okay, question number eight. Category The Legend of Zelda. In Ikena Castle, from Majora's Mask, what three masks makes the Gibdos and the Redeads dance? Majora. The Captain's Hat, the Gibdos Mask, and um... Oh, I know this. Oh, oh. Is it the, the um, Garrow's Mask? Yes, it is. Yes. Awesome! You got your first point! And he's on the board. <laughs> so Majora's at one, and Cinnamon's at four. There's still oh. a chance, though. There's still a chance. <laughs> There's two more questions. You can catch up. Next question. Category, Z-Tunes. So this question is worth two points. Name the title of this song. Majora. Um, is it the Hidden Village from Twilight Princess? Yes, it is! Oh, yes. Majora's playing catch-up. If he can get this last question, it'll be a tie. Alright. Okay, uh, where's my last question? Question number 10. Category, Zelda Dungeon. What was the color of Zelda Dungeon's original layout? Majora. Was it green-ish? Yes, oh! it was! Majora oh, comes in for the tie. We have a tie game! Okay, guys, so ties don't normally occur, so we have to move on to our tiebreaker question. So how the tiebreaker works is, uh, in the event of a tie, our contestants will be asked a series of consecutive, fast-paced questions about Din and Rish. And the first correct answer will win the game. There are no steals in this round. Okay? We have to use our buzzer still? Yes. Good question. Yes. Yes. All are right. you both ready? Yep. Tense. 
Okay, question number one. Which one of us wears glasses? Majora. The red. Majora oh wins! And Majora, Majora has beaten Cinnamon. Cinnamon's been knocked down. I hesitated for some reason. I have no clue why. You lost your throat, Cinnamon! Majora, the young upstart. I don't even know how many months. This is somewhat of a relief. <laughs> so, Majora, congratulations. Congratulations! That's it, everybody. Majora Man is the new person to take down. New champion! I take my hat off to you, good sir. I'd shake your hand if we were sitting next to each other. Virtual handshake. Virtual handshake. Four slash handshake. There you go. <laughs> Alright. So, congratulations, Majora Man. Cinnamon, thank you again for doing so many uh, Keaton quizzes. It's been fun. It has been fun. All right. Well, um, we will see you next time, guys, with our brand new champ. So uh, keep listening, and we'll see you guys later. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. See ya. Well, guys, we had another exciting podcast. We learned some stuff about uh, different games relating to Orcarina of Time. We learned a whole heck of a lot about Link's Awakening, or if you know a lot about Link's Awakening, then you had a good time reminiscing. And we had Cinnamon lose her throne of power. We had an epic Keaton quiz. And you know what? It's only going to get better from there. So you know what, guys? We here from Talk just want to thank you for listening again. And we want to thank everybody who sent us segments. We got um, several segments. And uh, if you sent us a segment, thank you so much. And keep listening, and you'll hear your segment in a coming cast. And uh, if you've already sent us a segment, send us another one. We'd love to hear from you guys again. And keep sending those mailbag questions and those voice mailbag questions. Voice mailbag questions uh, get the priority on coming on the mailbag. Absolutely, they do. So, we will see you guys next time. This is Din. And this is Rish. And this was Z Talk, the Zelda Dungeon Podcast.